Right, the riders have just entered the velodrome. We have Nils Pollitt and Philippe Gilbert. They are doing one lap. Looks like Eve Lampart not too far off the back. Nils Pollitt seems to be dawdling a bit, which could allow Lampart to get back into the action. I see him riding the rail, as they say. Oh, the crowd's loving this. Let's listen in. Looks like Gilbert goes on the inside. Gilbert has a pretty good little advantage. Pollitt is hurting. Gilbert has this. Gilbert has won four monuments now. Wow. Welcome back to this final classics installment of the Vela News podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. You just heard some audio from the velodrome in downtown Roubaix. We heard the roar of the crowd as the riders came in and I gave a little play-by-play behind Philippe Gilbert's. Are you the next Howard Cosell? Uh, hey, here we go. Uh, Hoodie, we're using our inside voices right now. Uh, set the scene. Where are we right now? We've just come in from the outside velodrome into the new indoor velodrome, state-of-the-art facility here in Bay. Got the fixie bikes behind us. Press room is in the middle of the pitch here, and it's, we're just oozing in cycling right now. Oozing. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're right in the vortex of classic cycling. Um, it was a wonderful Paris-Roubaix, a very exciting tactical race. There were a few moments when um, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I think, you know, we talked about this before the race, about how there were no real big hitters. There was no rider who was heads and tails stronger than everyone else. And I think that's what we saw today. We saw a very tactical race where six riders made the what would be the, the crucial juncture of the day, the crucial move of the day with about 45 kilometers to go. That being Peter Sagan, Yves Lampart, Philippe Gilbert, uh, Walt Van Aert, who Walt had, Van Aert. came back from just catastrophes earlier in the day. He's like a cockroach. Yeah, you cannot kill him. <laughs> you cannot kill uh, Walt Van Aert. Nils Pollitt, and then, wait, who was their sixth rider? Sepp Van Mark. Sepp Van Mark. Yeah, the, the, this, mark was, this race was really marked by the strong winds and the cold temperatures. I mean, the cold, you know, once you guys are racing, it wasn't that much of a deciding factor, but it just kind of built up over the whole course of the race. But the headwind and the crosswinds really marked this race, kept it compact. We didn't see a big breakaway go normally. Uh, it's always a big fight to get in the break, as everyone knows at Priora Bay, if you're in that breakaway, you can maybe even win the race. We saw Matt Heyman do that in 2016. Last year, Dillier was in the break. He latched on to Sagan, finished second. So always a big fight for the break. Didn't see a big group really go away. Three guys got away after almost two hours of racing. So that really set the tone for this race. It was like on-your-knees racing all day. These guys were just hammering. And by the time they got into the Ironberg, man, it was like still all block going into the Ironberg like it always is. But we saw really the first action of the day. That's when we saw Van Aert's first kind of a hiccup and what was like just a brutal day for him and really another epic day of racing for the three-time cyclocross champion. Yeah, Wout Van Aert had a rough day. So we saw him zip out of the group on the Arnberg Forest. He pulled off to the left out of the pace line and it looked like something was wrong. He continued to pedal and um, lost ground on this main group, exited the Arnberg Forest, had to put in a pretty big pull to get up uh, to the field, and then he executed a bike change, got on his, you know, on his new bike, 
pedaled away and then slid out and crashed. And we learned later that Van Aert had a mechanical problem in the Arnberg Forest. I believe his chain was stuck in a very hard gear, which would explain why he wasn't able to stay with that group, would explain why he had to pull himself out. Um, But that, with the crash, with having to chase back on twice, you know, Wout Van Aert was able to ride into that elite group of six, he eventually was the first one to be dropped out of it. And you have to wonder what could have been for Wout Van Aert because there's a good chance that he was the strongest guy today. Yeah, surprising not to see his team sitting up and pulling, having some guys pull him back into those groups. Uh, I was trying to get an answer out of the of Jumbo Visma guys. It was just it was just chaos out there at the finish line today. Couldn't quite get into uh, the scrum there with Wout. I mean, he could just absolutely collapsed the finish line. Fred, you got some video of that. Uh, I've never seen a rider come across as exhausted. I think he eventually finished. Uh, you know, he just he, he ran in with the second or third chase group. You know, he got popped out of that group pretty pretty dramatically, and he just absolutely collapsed onto the finish line unable to to really talk to anybody they finally pulled him away back to the team buses but again it just shows Bay. it's a race you just keep fighting and uh you know it, it's a race that t- gives and it's a race that takes away you know peter sagan was another smart rider today we've said we you know we've seen peter sagan ride extremely uh, intelligently at this race last year he attacked with 50k to go this year he waited until there was a group up the up the road with philippe gilbert niels pollett and many other riders and he made a bridging move with about 54k about the same spot where he attacked last year and he must like this spot in the race so he attacked up to this group uh, made the bridging move brought along van mark uh eve lampard a few other riders and you know there were moments there where i really thought peter sagan was going to win because from the moment that the group separated off into these six riders to me it looked like peter sagan was riding a defensive race betting that he was going to have the fastest finish going into the Rupe velodrome you know we've had some questions around peter sagan after flanders he said he didn't think he's the same rider he's been in the past maybe not as fit as he was but again i was hopeful but you know what it was in that last 15k where we sort of saw that yeah this isn't the same Peter Sagan um, there were a couple of moves he sh- he shut down a move on the Carrefour de l'Arbre um, he brought back Yves Lampart and then that was kind of his last bullet because after they got on that section it was Gilbert who put in a move Sagan could not go Could with not him. respond. I've never quite seen the elastic snap quite like that for Sagan so deep in one of these races. But you could kind of, there was like little telltale hints throughout the Spring Classics campaign. You know, in the Bergs and the, and the Flandering Classics, he just couldn't quite match his accelerations. You could see where on the big moments, like in the Koppenberg at Flanders last week, he was getting just slightly gapped off the wheel. Riders were even coming around him in some of those climbs. So coming into Roubaix, I just thought, as you said, that once that group had formed, that Sagan was going to just mark those wheels, save his bullet for that last shot on the on the velodrome. You know, hats off to Quickstep. You know, they had the numbers in that group, and that's always been in their favor when they can start playing those numbers and, and, and do those attacks and make the rivals cover those moves. But I was I was surprised to see Sagan. You know, normally he just has that natural depth to go so far into that final hour of racing. Hoodie, what did Sagan look like when he crossed the line? Man, I, I've never seen Sagan so sped. I mean, there's so many guys who are on their knees. Sagan came across the line. You know, he, he looked like he was, you know, really, you know, sugar depleted. He just started woofing down Haribo candies. I mean, he always nibbles on the Haribos. Man, he was like just absolutely engulfing them today. 
So we have to talk about Quick Step. Um, Quick Step played their cards very well again. Um, you know, they came into this race without a definitive leader. We've seen them in the past have one rider who is, you know, just on a higher level, be it Nikki Terpstra or all those years with Tom Bonin. This year, Patrick Lefebvre was, you know, he was pretty open about it. We're coming in with multiple riders who are on about the same level, and we're going to see what we're going to do. So Philippe Gilbert joins Niels Pollitt in this early-ish breakaway that goes with 67 Ks to go, and he's pretty aggressive in it. You know, he's doing a lot of riding on the front, really putting an effort to try and keep this group away. And then once Sagan bridged up with Yves Lampard, that's when the equation really started to change, because you say, okay, there's six riders, and Quickstep has two riders in here. How are they going to play this? You know, it looked to me like Gilbert sat in a bit while Lampard took some time attacking with, like, you know, 35K to go, 30K to go. And then it was on the Carrefour de Labro where we saw we had that one of those classic Roubaix TV shots where the, the camera's down low. You're seeing the cobblestones whizzing by. I believe it was Paulette who was on the front. And then out of nowhere, you see Gilbert swing off to the side and just accelerate. accelerate. Oh, that looked like a really crushing attack. Yeah, you could see, I think, when, when Lampart was taking those digs going into the Carrefour, ahead of the Carrefour on some of those earlier paves, that's when you kind of got the hint, really, that, that you think Gilbert had the legs to maybe do something, because that's what exactly right. Lampart's on the front, sitting at a hard pace. Gilbert uh, sitting on the wheel of Sagan, making Sagan and Paulette and, and Van Mark kind of do those accelerations to cover those moves. And, uh, you know, another kind of tactically superb win by Quickstep. They've won two out of three monuments. They got Liege coming up in a few weeks, and Gilbert could win that as well as Philippe. You know, it, it's they're they consistently performing these races, and, the, and we've talked about it before. The way they do it is riding this kind of one-for-all, all-for-one, three musketeers kind of philosophy. I was at the Quickstep bus. Uh, Seneschal came up later. Uh, I was there when he arrived at the team bus. He led the kind of the chase group in, so it was a huge day for uh, Quickstep. Steve was in that group as well. And uh, it was quite a scene. You know, these guys, look like they're pros. They're hard men. But Senegal, Seneschal rolls up. He's there. His wife's there. His, his family's there. His grandparents are there. You know, he's French. You know, they're all start crying and hugging each other. It is kind of a moving moment. It's kind of, kind of see that side of racing, too. Yeah, I poked my head into the scrum that formed around Philippe Gilbert as he crossed the finish line, and Yves Lampart was there. And they were hugging and taking their helmets off. Gilbert was crying. He was emotional. Uh, Patrick Lefebvre, the team boss was there and it was a very emotional he wasn't crying though he was not crying no he was a very emotional moment i uh, i spoke to uh patrick lefebvre after the win and i said oh what's your emotion right now he said oh my emotions are all inside i'm like okay well you know what is what does this mean for you he said gilbert's a great champion and when we signed him to the team two years ago he said i want a big bonus for milan san remo and i want a big bonus Paris-Roubaix. You could tell he was very serious about wanting to win these races with the team because of the way he structured his contract. So there you go. Philippe Gilbert. Big, big bonus big coming Big bonus. Up. So maybe Patrick Lefebvre is having to tip into the old money till a little bit more than, but I'm sure he'll gladly pay there for, for that huge victory. I mean, Jerry Barry now that puts some uh, four of the five monuments. You know, that's a landmark in cycling history. Only three riders have achieved winning all five monuments in their career. We've seen other guys get close. Conchalado was close. Uh, Bonin, you know, he only, he only won Flanders and Robay. But Jerry Bear is kind of a guy, he's versatile. You know, he can win. He won uh, Lombardy 
and uh, Liège earlier in his career, and he was just talking about in the press conference here how he made the decision to kind of transfer to become more of a northern classics rider. He goes, yeah, it would have been easier for me just to keep chasing the Ardennes, the races like that favored me. And he changed his way of uh, racing and training, put on a little more weight, and now he has that power to push across the flats that, you know, when he was 65 kilos, he wasn't doing that. But So you've seen him be able to transform himself as he became an older rider, a different kind of style of rider. He's obviously not as explosive as he used to be, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing to see in the modern era when everyone is so specialized to see a guy like Joubert do this. And, you know, he has San Remo. I mean, what's it going to take for him to win San Remo? I mean, he's going to have to attack on the, you know, no one goes from the Chipresa these days, but he'll have to do something over the Poggio and try to gap everyone, do a Nibali, because, you know, he's not going to win a bunch sprint coming down the Via Roma. No, I think San Remo, it's such a lottery. That's going to be a tough one for him. Yeah, he talked about, you know, hey, I could win five Amstels and four Lieges, but what's the fun in that? He said, he mentioned a race that he had won last season that uh, the name escaped me. He said, I'd never won that race before. For me, it meant a lot to win that because it was a new race. It was a totally new challenge and just winning the same Ardennes races didn't present the same type of challenge for him. So um, coming out here and learning the cobblestones and being smooth on the pavé, he said he had ridden the uh, Paris-Roubaix so many times in training that he knew where every stone was, every turn was. He knew all the gaps between the stones. He was very adamant about how well he knew this course today and he, he was very adamant that you know a long-range attack like this, going with 67k out was the only way he was going to be a, be comfortable winning it because when it gets bunched up and it's chaotic, he doesn't tend to thrive in situations like that. Yeah, and I think that was a smart play too because you needed to lose the guys like the Degen Kolbs, these Kristoffs that are the fast finishers. I mean, Kristoff had a couple of early punctures. He was out of the frame pretty early, but Degen Kolb was still in there. The guys that are faster than him, like the Sagans and the Van Avermaets. So he, he played it tactically. I mean, I thought it was a long way. When he jumped from so far out, I thought, well, maybe he's setting up Stebar or, or doing something like that. But it's always, you know, in a race like Robet, it's always better, better be up the road, have a, a teammate come up, up to you, then you can start playing that tactical advantage. Uh, but once those moves were made, we saw a few big names miss the move. One guy, of course, uh, Greg Van Avermaet, winner here two years ago, we talked to him at the team bus after the race. He was not happy because uh, when he said when that move went, he thought it was too far away. He kind of made a hedge, hedged his bet thinking that it would come back together. And then he got caught out. And by the time he said he wanted to start chasing back, he knew it was too late. So he was very frustrated after the race. Nason, another team was right, racing well throughout the race, Stin Vandenberg. He got caught out. Trek got caught out. They had Degenkolb and uh, Steuben there. Some big guys got caught up, but this is a race where if you're aggressive and, and just dare to attack the race, good things happen. Yeah, I was surprised to see Greg Van Avermaet not go with that move because at that point in the race, he was isolated. He didn't have any more teammates with him, and his team had done a lot of work getting him into good position before the Arenberg Forest. So, hey, when you see Peter Sagan, Yves Lampart, Sepp Van Marke roll off the front... As they're chasing down a Philippe Gilbert, I expected to see the alarm bells coming from him, and they didn't. I mean, he rode in the group, and then he put in a big surge several kilometers later. But I guess his calculus was just that Trek has multiple riders here, and Ajay Duzer have multiple riders here, so maybe they'll be strong enough. But I, I don't know, Hoodie. You look at the horsepower that was going off the front at that point, and there's part of me that says, okay, yeah, it's pretty early, but like these are... A-plus champions. 
who are getting in the group right there. Yeah, when I saw those six guys go and they had a gap 20, 30 seconds, I thought, it's gone. It's too late, especially the way the wind was blowing, the crosswinds. There was not a lot of organization in the bunch, and, and everyone's on their knees at that point of the race. So when you get six committed riders, I mean, the quick step, they weren't messing around. Joubert and uh, Lambert were both doing their share of the work in that group. Everyone was you know, dedicated to that move, and you knew it was going to go because you got that much horsepower off the, off the front of the race. It's not coming back. Nils Pollitt. I think that's a name that probably a lot of our listeners aren't super familiar with. He's a big, tall, thin German rider. He rode, I felt, a very smart race in that he didn't put his nose into the wind too much in, uh, you know, once it was that last group of six. He would pull through, but when the moves would go, he would latch on. He latched on with Gilbert. He latched on, I believe, when Sagan made a move. Um, and the earlier move when uh, yeah. Trentin was up the road. Yep. And so, you know, I spoke to his... DS, Dirk Demal, our our favorite quote. We of love the, Dirk Demal. We love Dirk Demal. And I asked Dirk, hey, what can you tell me about this Pollitt guy? There's a lot of American cyclists who probably aren't super familiar with him. And uh, here's what old Dirk had to say about our man, Nils Pollitt. All right, Dirk, your rider, Nils Pollitt, just got second place at Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. What are his strengths? Is it mental, physical? Me- everything. Both. 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 Uh, as I say, uh, I have seen him already as an under-22 rider uh, because I tried to follow also the results of them and uh, also watching some races. And um, he was on my list years ago. And um, since I worked with him also, I, I realized straight away it's a, it's a rider you can work with. I mean, um, it's a new generation and everything, but... and. Um, I'm already a bit older, you know. And, uh, but you were but, 25, but, 26? <laughs> I passed 25. <laughs> no, but, but we have a lot of experience, and it's, it's many of young riders. I mean, it's like they, they, they don't want to learn from us. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you talk about so many years ago, but, but, but Niels, you can work. You can bring him something. When, when, you, when you tell him something, when you talk about something, and you tell him why we're going to do this, he take it. And this is so nice to work with. What was the most impressive moment of his ride today for you? Um, yeah, uh, the moment that uh, that Carrefour Lar, we didn't have good television, but then the moment that they were gone with, with two, with him and Philip, was like for me like, Wow, he's still able because uh, they were with six on the, up the road. Six ri- the riders who were with him were as all world top, and that's what I was telling him also on the radio. Uh, look, before you're on the road now, you're on the road with, with the world top, but this is where you belong. You're in your place there, man. And, and uh, then when Silver went, don't wait, just believe in yourself. And uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy. Yeah, so you can see, you know, he said he's a hard worker and he's really smart, and he was really imp- imp- impressed by just how. Um, Pullet had put a lot of time into learning the ebb and flow of these races. So, you know, second place in Roubaix, this young, I think Pullet's 25. Um, do we think he's capable of winning? I mean, he, do, do we think he will win this race? I certainly show the potential. It was funny coming into uh, the velodrome. You know, it's all set up with uh, Gilbert and Pollitt coming in. I mean, the scenario is, okay, here's Pollitt. He's the guy. He's coming up, a young guy. You know, he'll get his turn. Second place. He's satisfied with that. But it's, man, you know, at that situation, though, you might never, ever be back in that situation again. Because I saw your man Dillier come across the line. You know, he was in that same situation last year. You know, in a race like Roubaix, you know, the big hitters are always there. You might never be in that situation again to try to win the race. 
But, I mean, he was obviously very, very satisfied, and maybe he will. Obviously, last year had a great race. He's a qu consistent quality rider. But, you know, that scenario coming in, it's like the race is all set up for Joubert. But sometimes the script just doesn't go the way the Hollywood writers would like it. And I was watching uh, Lefebvre. I think he's going to have a heart attack there in the end. But uh, in the end, Joubert pulled out the win. I mean, I mean tonight, Joubert, he is Flemish. Even though he hails from the Ardennes, he lives, you know, right next to uh, the famous climb there in Liège. But uh, tonight he, he's Flemish, and there's no, I can imagine the amount of beer those boys are going <laughs> to drink tonight. Uh, before we get out of here, we need to talk about Sepp van Marga and EF Education first. Again, you know, coming into this race, they had a lot of um, yeah, just positive attitude around the bus after Betiol's win at the Tour of Flanders. And you know, Betiol was not here for EF Education first. Instead, they had Sebastian Langeveld, they had Sepp van Marga, they had Matty Breschel, even Taylor Finney was on the list. Um, as the race got started, it didn't really seem to be going their way. Taylor Finney pulled out. I guess he had a mechanical right as the team car was going by, so uh, they weren't able to go and help him. Um, I believe Sepp Van Marke crashed early, and, you know, someone called this out on Twitter. We saw him riding a bicycle that didn't have the same number plate as him. I asked him about it at the finish line. He said, no, nothing to see here. I never had to do a bike change, so I don't know what was going on there. But what's... Um, what we can say is that at some point, Sepp van Marke crashed, and he damaged his rear derailleur. And he was able to carry on and ride smoothly and wisely with it up into that front group of six. But as the race started to really deteriorate, and he was in that group, at some point, it went into, like, damage mode. And so he was stuck in one gear. Mm. And Sepp van Marke was trying to cover moves bridge up to these groups with one gear and as we saw when Peter Sagan and well I guess when it was uh, Gilbert and uh, Pollitt were able to go up the road Sepp Van Marco was not able to go. And that just shows you really how brutal this race conditions are. These mechanicals, you know, these, these state-of-the-art bikes, everything's as tuned as well as it can be, can be. But man, a flat tire, a little wiggle on that jiggle on the, uh, on the, on the, the derailleur, and man, you can't change the gear and you're missing these moves. And that just shows you what Roubaix, how unique Roubaix is. I talked to Heinrich Hausler, same thing. He said he punctured right before the Ehrenberg, chased back, punctured again, chased back, and then got caught up in a crash uh, in a sector where a fan took out another rider. Chased back, he finished 14th. That's what it is in this race. You keep fighting. And, and Van Mark, you know, fourth place. No one expected that. He was, he was uh, not on the top 10 list coming into this race. He was super bummed. So I talked with Sepp Van Mark and then also EF's uh, sport director, Andres Clear, about the day. Uh, we're going to hear from both of them right now. Sepp, could you describe your emotions for us right now? How are you feeling after this Paris-Roubaix? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very disappointed, of course. Uh, after all what happened uh, the last weeks, I had to fight very hard to come back, even when I couldn't train. And last week, uh, I did everything I could to, with a bad knee, to still train and to do everything I could to get the best level possible. 
And today I knew if, if I did everything perfect, that I could still be close to, uh, to victory. And today I did everything perfect, I didn't make one mistake, but then on Carrefour de l'Arbre my derailleur stopped working, it went to the 11 and I couldn't do anything anymore, I had to, had to wait for 10 kilometers and for a new bike and it killed my legs and I just had to let the victory go. It was in my legs but uh, because of the bike I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't fight for it. I talked to Seb at the finish line, he was obviously disappointed about how the race went. Um, take me through how the team's race went. I got his story of how his race went, but how, what's your assessment of how the team functioned today? Well, again, we wanted to be defensive in the beginning because of the headwind, right? We didn't even try to go on brakes. And then, uh, obviously, Sepp and Sebastian were going really good. They talked with each other. I mean, with Kart 24, we were just out of the bike race, I have to say. And um, Sepp made the jump with the right group, right? Uh, what I actually didn't really know was that he crashed wherever. I have no idea. In the beginning, probably. I, I, I don't know. And uh, we had the spike change because the spike went into crash mode, the back to radio. And after the finish line, I wanted to see the bike immediately. And the whole back to radio is basically hidden in, uh, I wouldn't say pieces, right? So that gives me the explanation for that, so I'm not angry anymore. Uh, yeah, that's all. Turning back the time, you know, Sebastian comes in and says, fuck me, I didn't race. That's sad, of course, for him and for the team. If he could turn back the time, he would say, yeah, maybe uh, him in the group or the other in the group or whatever. But you can't. And um, the group went also 30 kilometers flat out. So you don't know how Sebastian would feel after doing that and, and, and all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and if, it was very, very, very intense and I feel very sad for uh, Seb or for the team that we didn't make a top three spot because that's what they deserved. Well, you know, I think I'll always remember this Paris-Roubaix, obviously for Gilbert winning Roubaix. I think I'll remember it for how cold it was at the start line. We were walking around the start in Compiègne, and you could see your breath. Riders were fully decked out, wearing booties and stuff like that. I don't Even know about Stan you. Vandenberg had arm warmers yeah. on. What's <laughs> up? You know it's cold then. <laughs> it was it was a cold one. Um, and then, the you know, the, the always the scene here in the velodrome. It's a real special moment seeing these riders cross it's the line. It's packed. It was a huge crowd today. It was like a rock concert when they came in. Yeah. So, Hoodie, before we get out of here, I got I to gotta, I gotta talk. I got to tell a story, a little Fred story. Um, we love Fred stories. Yeah, as I teased in the last episode, I was doing the old Paris-Roubaix Challenge, which is the amateur sportive mm. where you ride over many of the same sectors. You do, there's, there's a 145K route. There's, there's like a 170K route. There's a bunch of different K routes. It's one of these typical European sportives. But, Hoodie... It did not go no. according to plan. Mm. Um, I showed up here in Roubaix to start the ride. And right here at the velodrome. Right here at the velodrome. And my bicycle was stolen. Ooh. Yep. I, uh, I showed up and it was chaos and there were riders everywhere getting ready to start this thing. You know, you're pinning on your numbers, bikes scattered all over the place. And I did what, you know typically do you know and looking back on it, it was a bad it was a mistake i i walked up i leaned my bike up against the fence where lots of other bikes were and i used the porto john 
Mm. Well, yeah. nature calls. Man. Nature called. Nature called in a big way. And it came out and the bike was gone. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it came out and the bike was gone. And I freaked out and I was looking around. Hey, maybe someone moved it. No, no one moved it. Did I see it anywhere They moved else? it permanently. Yeah. And uh, I talked to security. Of course, it's we're in France here, so no one spoke English. Finally tracked down a security guy who said, oh, you need to go talk to the promoter. So I went to talk to the or- race organizer and Hoodie. That's where things went from bad to worse. <laughs> Do tell. I told the race organizer, hey, you know, excuse me, my bicycle was just stolen. Uh, what do I do? And she says, is it my responsibility that your bicycle was stolen? <laughs> <laughs> and um, she... she in, in the nicest French way. No, I it was, yeah, it yeah. was... She scolded me. Yes. She scolded me for having my bike stolen. Um, and it's true, you know, they had a bike valet, which um, I entered from the other side, so I didn't see the bike valet. I had to go to the bathroom. You know, my fault. I should have used the bike valet. But um, the bike was stolen. I got zero empathy from the uh, race organizer. Yeah, yeah. And so my next course of action was to go to the police. Um, so I tracked down the Roubaix police office. And you're still in your full kit. Um, by this point, I'm in clothes by this point. Okay. So I show up at the cop station and there's another cyclist there. He had heard of two other people who had had their bike stolen that morning, too. He was really bummed. He was like, he said, you know, he had an emotional connection to his bike. He had done... As everyone does. Yeah, dozens of sportives never had this happen. There was also a gentleman there who um, was the father who was reporting stolen bikes of his, of his kids. Mm. Separate incident. Not mm. related to the sportive, but other bikes. And uh, the more and more I talked to people, people were like, yeah, man, this is Roubaix. This is kind of a grim, gritty town in northern france there's a lot of crime and uh you don't leave things lying up against the fence you don't here. leave uh, thousands of dollars laying, on, laying uh, no, next to the port of no. that <laughs> so it was definitely my fault and my mistake i left the bike there admittedly around hundreds of other bikes mm. um but used the used the bathroom and you know people were probably watching this but um and look i have sympathy for any race promoter you know people putting on events but Hoodie, it's time to get serious here, man. Um, I don't know if I can endorse this event. Um, just the fact that multiple people had their bikes stolen, the fact that when I went to the event promoter, I just got a bunch of bad attitude and this sort of scolding. Um, you know, I had a great time at the Ghent Wevelgem Sportive. I had a great time at the Tour of Flanders Sportive. But I had a real bad time at the Paris-Roubaix Challenge. And, uh, you know, I hope the event, I don't know. I don't know what I hope for the event. I'm, it, I hope it does well, but I, I would say skip it. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one answer to that, Fred. You got to just unplug. Yeah. Have a nice cold Belgian beer. Yeah. Get a new bike. <laughs> come back next year and bring a chain. Yeah. Bring a bike true. lock. <laughs> bring a bike lock. Or maybe, yeah, bring a bike lock or a friend or someone to look after it. Or maybe just, I don't know, just yeah, lock it up, leave it in the car. So, Paris-Roubaix Challenge was kind of a bust for me. Doesn't get the uh, thumbs up on the old TripAdvisor, no. Fred's version of TripAdvisor. <laughs> but uh, I think that's going to do it for us, Hoodie. Uh, looking back over the last three weeks, what is your top, top, top Hoodie memory? The top Hoodie memory of the last three weeks, ah, it has to be today. I mean, Gilbert, he's like that class winner that uh, kind of you know the monuments are this mystical race races that have so much prestige 
and you want the the big riders to win the big races not taking away anything else from any what anybody's done the last two or three weeks but uh, for me to see Joubert win uh, a former world champion a guy who's won other big monuments a guy who's kind of a, a big star in the sport uh to me that just adds to the luster of these big events to see these big riders step forward. And that's why, you know, what comes for are they big riders because they win the monuments or the monuments make them big riders. And it's probably a little bit of both. You have to have a special class to win these races, uh, to see what Gilbert did two years ago, Flanders, and then back it up and win today. And the way he did, I thought it was the, uh, it was probably the best race for me in the last couple of weeks. I'm going to remember the ascendancy of Wout van Aert and Matthew van der Poel in the first half of this with the Belgian Classic. Seeing Matthew van der Poel, um, you know, get his feet with it at Gent-Wevelgem, put in some attacks, and then win Dwarves, and seeing Wout van Aert almost, you know, seal the deal at E3 Harlbecke, ride so aggressively today. Oh, you know, he was probably the strongest guy in the race. It's a bummer that he had those mechanicals. And it was so, just such a dramatic scene to see how deeply he pushed himself so that he couldn't even talk, could barely function uh, in the velodrome. But, you know, that's what we want to see from our great champions. I mean, cycling is this sport where it's physical, it's mental, and it really is emotional. And seeing how deeply Wout van Aert was willing to push himself to try and stay in this race, I think that image is always going to stay with me. Yeah, you're right. Those two are the most exciting new riders coming onto the scene. It's always great to see the sport rejuvenated with new new faces and i agree with you 100 those two guys are gonna be the superstars in the future and vanderpool i mean personally for me this is the first time i've actually seen the guy race uh i don't follow a lot of the cyclocross yeah, especially not just the feeds or anything i've known his name known his name obviously but man the way that guy races it's just mind-blowing this guy is his unlimited future yeah oh yeah future's so bright well hoodie i think it's uh i think it's beer time I think to go, i'm gonna go i think wash you away need, the, yeah. wash away the sorrows wash away the sorrows of the stolen bike and if you see a size extra large 61 uh specialized bench cruising around the, the streets of roubaix uh, give your old pal fred a uh, jingle on the twitter machine thanks for listening over the last classic season and we will talk to you later Bye.